0: Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson.
1: And I'm your co-host, Ariel Brain.
0: And today we are here with Megan Bowl. Thanks very much for being here, Megan. Yeah, no problem.
2: I'm, I'm excited for this.
0: Yeah, we're really excited to have you here. So you are a third year PhD student in the FIMS department. Can you tell me just very generally what it is you are doing there? What are you researching?
2: Um, so my research broadly looks at the economies and business models of mobile dating apps and platforms, so like Tinder and, and Hinge and OkCupid and all of those. And broadly, I try to map out the, the structures of how user data is, mo- is monetized and extracted and who's all the players in and, and those um, levels and how they all work together because it's a really black boxed industry. And on the other hand, I look at how what I call value conflation um, occurs in design processes and policies um, in, the, in the dating apps themselves. So how common values like compatibility in romantic contexts um, are transformed or, or used toward economic gain or profit.
1: I think uh, that gives us a good starting point for sure. Um, my first thing that kind of comes to mind is like, well, what exactly is a dating app? Because, you know, I remember I remember distinctly the to- first time someone said to me, yeah, I met someone online and then I met him in person. Wow, that was crazy. So, I mean, things have kind of evolved a lot. Um, I think a lot of people might think, I, my, the first thing I might think of is Tinder, which isn't necessarily even the oldest or the most commonly used dating app. I don't even know. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about like, what dating apps you're, you're including as dating apps and like, what does it mean to be a dating app?
2: So it's, it's funny you mentioned Tinder because that's one of the big ones. That's been that a lot of research has been done on and um, really was one of the first apps that kind of pioneered that whole industry. Um, so when I look at my research, typically I tend to use Tinder hinge and Bumble as my starting points. Um, mainly because they're the the most researched again and there's a lot of information that you can find about them and that's relatively speaking just because there's very little (laughs) out there about these apps and and again the policies that they publish and stuff about their algorithms and all that Um, but I've also looked at um, dating apps like coffee meets bagel if you've ever heard of that one and um, badu I've looked at briefly but the types of dating apps that I guess you can download on an iPhone or your Android or, or whatever phone you have and typically are more of an app form, less as a website. That's more what I'm, I'm looking at when I say when I say dating app. And how widely used are dating
0: apps? Because it's very common to hear people talk about it or they say, oh, whatever, swipe right, swipe left. Like that's a common saying,
2: like how much has this really
0: taken over the dating world as far as you know?
2: Um, as far as I know, young adults, age 18 to 30, um, it's a really popular, um, to give an exact number is just difficult, especially with COVID, COVID, mm-hmm. it really skyrocketed. Um, I'm sure you can see why, cause we couldn't meet, we couldn't go out with people, couldn't go on dates. And a lot of people were simply, you know, using it to meet people, to be, to be social with them. Um, but I mean, I think it's really skyrocketed since the pandemic hit. I think it's still, they're still going strong. Um. And, um, you know, they've, they've always been popular, I guess, among my age group, our age group, though I guess it depends on the type of platform that you're looking at. So like Tinder, again, that's more our age group, um, the later end of that 18 to 30 range. And then there's there's new ones that are coming out and they cater to specific niches, specific age groups, specific tastes within that that range, but really they're for everybody. I believe they're one of the few ways that a lot of couples have been meeting I've been noticing a lot more mm-hmm. um hinge couples or tinder couples or whatever you want to you want to call your specific brand of of dating app couple but yeah no I think they're they're very popular
1: I think I'd like to get at some point into the 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 makers of the app side and not the not necessarily the users of the app side but I think it is important that now we're we're you know we're discussing a lot what do the, who are the users like? What are the, app, you know, what, what apps do they choose? So um, before we get into, you know, the, the meat of your research, like what are these makers of the apps doing um, uh, with the data that they have? Um, can you tell us like, let's say we're a person and I was going to download an app and I was deciding about these different apps. Like what's the difference in terms of like using them? I think that, like you said, Tinder people know about it and they just imagine like you open the app, you see a face and you swipe on it is that um is that how all the dating apps were how how does one use a dating app well
2: the swipe is pretty popular um that again was the big action that tinder pioneered and you see it in hinge you'll see it in bumble um you'll see it on coffee meets bagel like the ones that i've done it's it's a popular action and it's one of the more easier ways i guess to familiarize different user bases, you know, for a new app, they want to get people on. They're just like, oh, you just swipe through. It's interesting when you talk about the business aspect, because what I tell people mostly is, well, read the terms and conditions, which nobody does. Um, But if you did, and you did a bit of research, you would find that a lot of your popular dating apps, they're owned by one parent company. Hmm. And that's called, they're called Match Incorporated. And they own Tinder, Hinge... Um. OK Cupid, they own about 90, I'd say 80 or 90 percent, a good a good chunk of the of the dating industry of your mobile dating industry. Yeah,
0: that's crazy. And so what is in the terms and conditions? <laughs> because I don't think I've ever read the terms and conditions for anything. <laughs> Maybe if I open a credit card, I think I read some of the terms and conditions there. That's a good <laughs> one to read. But definitely I have never read and apps terms
2: and conditions can you tell us what what's in there so everything a, a lot of legal jargon a lot of computer science jargon which um i've had to learn a lot of uh just to get through um through reading them but what you'll find is um if you get to a specific you'll get to a specific part and it'll tell you where they start trading user data with so you know, some of it is your your typical, what you would expect, um, you know, among the app with other people, with other users, they'll share your data because obviously you have to, you know, share your profile and your likes and who you are with other people to, to, to make a match. But they'll also indicate, we also share with our targeted advertising partners, um, other apps that we have affiliated with. So, for example, if you've tried Tinder, you know, you have to verify your identity on Facebook. But in doing so, you've given Facebook permission to access that data, put in cookies or what other trackers have you, and share that data or how you've been perusing the app with their advertising partners, which they talk to Tinder and Tinder puts in their own and that sort of thing. So they'll tell you the, the targeted advertisers that they they trade with. They won't tell you who they are precisely, but they'll just say our targeted advertisers. Um, and they will also say with um, other, in in the case of Tinder, I'm thinking here, with their other um, match group affiliates. So the interesting thing by that, meaning um, if their parent company has other apps that they own, which like I said, they own quite a bit, um, they can share that data in very anonymized forms or aggregated forms across their other apps and groups that they own. So if you ever see an advertisement, and this is I like to talk about this one because it, it freaks people out sometimes, a common practice is data trading among the different apps. So if you see an advertisement and they say, like, come on our app, we have lots of people who are, who are like you. In theory, they can take you know, your profile data, what you like, and maybe your pictures or whatever, and they can make a pseudo profile of you to get people to join their new app or other app or cross app that they own. They don't say this in their terms and services, right? But they will say, we share with our affiliates, with other um, advertising partners. So with the affiliates part, that's what they can do. With the targeted advertising, that's your normal, you know, advertisers. So they can cater to you there. But they do specify this this base in their terms and conditions. It's just nobody <laughs> can either read it or it's too far down like for someone to reasonably, I guess, go in and... and you know say oh this is very i don't like this but i mean really if you don't like it there's no other option for you to say i don't want you sharing with these people um you have to agree to it or you don't use the app yeah it's really an all or nothing kind of
0: deal like either you accept everything that there's there or you just don't use the app
2: yeah it's it's very much like that and that's one of the issues that on an ethical perspective of, of my research um is a problem and the other is, like I said, the fact that it's so long these these serve the terms and services and their policies are long. use language that is not really plain. So unless you have specialized education in legal jargon or just tech jargon, you'll be googling a lot of just terms that are are impossible to really just understand, like very quickly. Um so that's one of the issues. Um, on an ethical perspective and it is interesting because a lot of like hinge for example is trying to make it more transparent where they're gutting the terms and services and making a a page users can go to and they try to direct them and say hey you know um go read uh this page it's our terms and conditions in a dumbed dumbed down form and you can see how we're we're trying to be transparent who who we're trading with and that sort of thing the issue with that is they they gut, like i said they got a they got a great deal of of information that you you they either don't want you to see or really don't want you to you know read about like who they're trading with they 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 will say partners again or whatever but yeah that's sorry that's one of the ethical sides of that research that I did
1: it does sound uh it is sounding somewhat uh malicious at this point you know like I'm not <laughs> and that doesn't sound great from the perspective of the of no. the companies there but um so I'm wondering if there's something if there's even more though as well that they're doing um to change their experience and you know, maybe maybe even like change who they're who they're seeing and um and who they might actually end up meeting that they they may not uh may not like because the end goal of the dating app is to go on a date with someone <laughs> and if then <laughs> someone is someone else is making is intervening in your choice to to date this person or another person in some way that i think people may be would be less happy with that so so just to feed into that sort of question could you maybe tell us a little bit more about like how are they how is how's this i guess this one company match <laughs> yeah. basically uh making how are they making money and, and then and then does that how does that relate maybe to other things that people might perceive as unethical in, in the in the managing of this app
2: well they make money through primarily you know the subscription services they have different levels of subscription for different features that's i'd argue the more plain way that they 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 make money the more back ended money is that the way they make money is 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 through users um the more users they can get on their platform the more money is their data i should say is worth so what they can trade with either you know targeted advertising partners their parent companies and affiliates or whoever's beyond that um initial branch or those branches um they that data is worth something to them and what makes dating platforms really ripe i guess for that is just the fact that they want to know about you they're in depth um, for the purposes of compatibility i mean obviously they do want you to meet someone i'm not going to say they're completely you know you know with malicious intent um but that said they're 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 their design makes it really easy for them to get precise, in-depth, um, current information about about their users, package that up in like anonymized, you know, non-identifying groups of data and trade that among, you know, partners or, or different characters there. And that's, I'm not going to, the problem with this is that you can't say how much money they're making off users just because that itself is black boxed. Um, but you can find a rough number um, for how much an individual user is worth. So if you go on their investor statements and look under their uh, quarterly revenue statements, they have a very tiny number in under 100 pages worth of, of tax stuff. And it's, it's a number and they call it ARPU. It's called average revenue per user. And at last, when I looked at it last, it was 60 cents per freemium freemium user like they're just using the app for free they're not subscribed to anything but Mm. one one user's profile is worth about 60 cents to them so multiply that by (laughs) the millions of users they have on one app plus the other apps they own and you get a very um, rich uh, parent company there yeah
0: no kidding is there a way for people to use these apps like kind of responsibly, like, is there a way to, to partake of the dating app life and not have your data? I guess there, I don't know if there is like, is there, should you just, are there some that are better than others? Maybe not because they're all owned by the same people. So when people ask you like, oh, should I stop using data, um, dating apps? Do you tell them? Yes.
2: I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't. I'll be honest. I met my partner on hinge. Yeah, so, so um,
1: I. I met my partner on Bumble.
2: Oh, Bumble!
1: <laughs> that's
0: interesting. I met mine. I met mine in high school, which is kind of more embarrassing, <laughs> to be honest.
2: <laughs> no, that's amazing. But I don't tell them to stop using dating apps. Like, there's a need for them. Um, I think in a disconnected world, and COVID, very much showed us that there is a, there is a need for people to meet in in online ways when you know meeting. In real in real life isn't always possible. And geographically, my partner lived in London, and I'm not living in London, so I would have never come across him, like other than through school. And we're in different departments, so I don't even think I would have met him there. But I, I don't. And you know, there is a lot to be said for the malicious side of of that industry. But at the same time, they they do do a lot of good. And I'm not going to pretend and say that they're all bad. Like I said, that would. I don't believe that. And to, I would say, Hinge, and I want to say Bumble, but I have to do a little more research on that, but to Hinge's credit, they have tried to say, to implement transparency policies to tell you to an extent how their algorithm matches people, what it takes, what they use the data for when a user signs up, who they might trade with. They do have a plain language policies page like Tinder does, but it's a little more in depth, which is why I would promote it more. And their website, too, if if you wanted to really deep dive and, like, you're a really conscious user who wanted to know that their data wasn't, you know, they wanted to use it responsibly, you can go on there and they do, you know, tell you, like, how they feed in, you know, behavioral analysts, behavioral science, how how those things work into how they do their algorithm and how they trade with people. The problem is they just won't tell you, like, we are trading with X and X and X. It's, it's. To some extent, I think they know that people um, that people know that their data is being taken and given to advertisers like YouTube or any other platform, really. But um, I, I think they know that, which is why they don't explicitly maybe say it. But there is it's it's the lack of, like, I guess, uh, precise transparency that's bothersome for me that they don't kind of lay it all out in the open at that and that there are really black boxed segments um, that you just can't find, no matter how hard you
1: research. One thing that uh, that makes me wonder, you know, that there's all this secrecy of some sort, and you're thinking, well, why is it so secret, right? Yeah. Maybe there's something there, right? Um, and it makes me wonder, uh, because when I think about dating apps, I think, well, the, the I mean, the app, you're nominally supposed to be finding someone. And then if you find them, potentially depending on your your, your preference if you're an agamist polyamorous or whatever yeah once you found someone you delete the app you're done <laughs> yep. right so i mean that's not that's not that's not good to for the, the company right they want to keep you on the app in, in a way to, to make money so this seems like um kind of a the incentives are, are different to like both find you somebody permanent but also keep you there forever so i'm yeah. wondering if like you said, the main thing is swipe, swipe, swipe. You're not, if you're not, if you're not actively searching for particular qualities, or you're not, you know, you're just being fed in your face.
2: Yeah.
1: Different faith, different people. How are you get being fed that? Um, is wh- which incentive are? What are they more incentivized with? Like, feeding you stuff that you, people that you, you know, you might find a match and never come back to the app ever again and not swipe anymore, or someone that you would continue to swipe with or half swipe, swipe and then maybe not I don't know what can you speak on that a little bit
2: I can yeah um so I I am suspicious of that um you know the the industry relies on a constant stream of daters coming and going they need users for the business model and it is interesting because for me that's that's where the aspect of of value conflation comes in so the idea of taking like I said like a real, I'm I'm gonna call it a public value, but like something like that's really common to everyone. That everyone kind of wants, like compatibility, you know, um, where I think they kind of change it maybe in the design or or alter users' understandings in a way that kind of feeds that model. So they would prefer you be choosy, for instance, which isn't, again, necessarily a bad thing. But for the purposes of compatibility, we want you to have the most perfect person for you. So you can't just settle for every, anybody, right? you got to keep swiping and swiping and swiping until you find that perfect match. And even then, you know, you still got to message them, still got to see if things work out. And a lot of the time, at least in my experience, they went nowhere. <laughs> you know, you either stopped talking or it got too tedious or that sort of thing. But yeah that that's where it comes in for me that idea of of i guess conflating values turning it into a more economic profit-bearing understanding to keep those users engaged and on on the on the site um or the the app i should say but i also think like the algorithms like how they choose even if they're transparent saying we're choosing um according to these aspects of of your profile and what you put um I think that's selective in itself because you could screen if, if you don't put the right thing, that's, you know, something that's important to you or the right phrase. You could miss that it, the perfect person for you entirely just just because you didn't put a word in or you didn't say you liked one thing, for example. So I think that's really interesting to talk about um, just this whole idea of algorithmic selection um, for me. <laughs> um, it, it's it's. I I don't know I want to say it's sketchy but and that's part of the reason I'd like to see more transparency but again this idea of also like conflicting ideas around romance toward like a business orientation it's 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 interesting and that's that's what I can speak to of it Um, and that's the direction I'm going for my my research. Yeah,
0: that, that's really interesting. That was actually going to be my next question is what specifically do you want to look at? Are you uh, working your way towards building that like thesis idea? Like what is it particularly that you you want to look into?
2: So I want to continue mapping that very black boxed industry in the mobile dating industry. Like I mentioned, it's, it's difficult though. That's one of the issues. But for my thesis, um, one of the things I'm really looking at for that is a comparison of 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 values. So going back to this value conflation idea, um, there's been some sorry research to suggest um that apps and their predecessors. So this is going back to websites in the nineties and way back before that. They use a sort of um therapeutic discourse, so therapy language and a therapy narrative of communicating, of um taking time for you making sure you're mentally well and and these are all important things i'm not saying they're not but there's this this kind of phenomenon where they use this as a backbone um to justify that kind of conflation that i mentioned so compatibility don't be too choosy we want you to you know stay on we want you to stay on the app we also want you to pick someone who's personality wise the best type of person for you and that you're mentally ready to enter into a relationship and it's really interesting for me because I like i said past historical intermediaries so when i say that and I'm, I'm i'm talking about like matchmaking services from like the 70s the 80s um those old old ways of i guess the predecessors to our dating apps um they used this type of idea um advice literature they they called it then and um, personal growth literature as well um and for me what i found interesting was you know doing my research was that apps like coffee meets bagel like tinder like hinge they advertise in a certain way that utilizes this you know we have tips for how to succeed on the app um, how to best you know look after yourself on the app and how to best find that person for you and i found it mirrored a lot of that language um there and and it was interesting because no one had ever really talked about it and i kept seeing like these advertisements for it and that's really something that i kind of want to dig into is how that that kind of works as a backbone to kind of take these values but also support a business model that is very sketchy in my opinion but i i know it sounds very messy and like i said i'm i'm still kind of you know working out the specific ins and outs of that project but that's the direction i want to go is kind of looking at this therapy language um in relation to value conflation and um and in, and in relation to the business model, which, again, still needs to be mapped out extensively, and I need some updated sources for that. But I find it really cool. And it's just it's something that's not heavily researched. So
1: I mean, to, to, to some extent, yeah, to some extent there, you know, what what decisions the business is making have to be. Based on like fiscally, <laughs> yeah. like they have to be like, yeah, I'm gonna, we're going to do this for the money. But you know, on the other other hand, they're going to be doing things to make the, the service better for the user. I mean, those things might actually go hand in hand, though. So then, my question is: to what extent um, are these, you know, seemingly odd decisions they might make about like well, algorithms or whatever? Are those to what extent are they doing that based on what they actually? found out people want based on the data so that so so we may say hey this looks like you shouldn't be using that like therapeutic lens or whatever to 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 advertise and to motivate people to use your app but but maybe that's what people want like maybe that actually is the right answer and they know it only because they have the data to show it um to what extent is that the case like are they or they or are they actually pushing um incentives on uh uh i don't know values on people
2: well, it's it's interesting. I was there was an a newspaper article that I had been reading like in print newspaper <laughs> I came across it one day. And it was actually it was arguing that this type of therapy resource or their therapy language should be utilized more because the business model focuses on a lot of reward-based systems. So when we talk about the swipe, going back and swiping and swiping and oh you got a match. It's it's very reward-based rather than relationship based or whatever it is you're searching for on that app based. Um, so some critics were saying that more resources and and talking like that was needed to kind of optimize the apps and make them really useful for people, mainly because I'd say younger, younger audiences. And I don't know, maybe to, to some extent, my own age group, There there isn't many guidelines for dating, how to date, how to go about courting someone I'm going to say that in quotes <laughs> but <laughs> there isn't we have a lot of freedom there's different things people want that are out there for and there, to some extent it was needed but for me when I looked at these advertisements it really it, it just it took on that please join our app angle like please we, we want you on on the app not trying to give legitimate tips but you know kind of trying to sell the app trying to sell how to best use the app, you'll get the best experience through this. And that was that was the point that interested me because they were using that language in a way so as to get more people to feel like they were being supported on the app. When I don't know if that was completely genuine. Well, this has been
0: really interesting, but unfortunately, we are just about out of time. So thank you very much for coming on Gradcast, Megan. It's been really interesting to hear about your work. If anyone wants to learn more about your research, is there some sort of social media where they can find you?
2: Yeah, I am on Twitter. I post a lot about my research, um, and I guess it will be in the description. <laughs> it sure will. Thanks very much. Yep, yeah, no problem.
0: This has been Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Emily Hutchinson, and my co-host was Arielle Frame. We've been speaking with Megan Boll, and this episode was produced by Jordan Vanderbilt. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in to contact us, you can email us at gradcast at follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at gradcastradio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM, and you can find all of our episodes wherever you find your podcast. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of your day.